It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes, and in this edition we'll discuss Alistair Cook's decision to stand down as England captain. It's been expected for several weeks, but has finally happened. Perhaps it was no coincidence it was announced the Monday after England's white ball tour to India came to an end. Yeah, I don't think they wanted any distractions while they were in India. This is Simon Mann. We'll also discuss the ICC's plans to revamp Test and One Day International Cricket, a two-year league in Test from 2019 and a 13-team One Day International League. The intention with the Test League is to give proper context to Test matches and, of course, to One Day Cricket as well with a 13-team ODI League. Yeah, and that seems to be long overdue, really. I've also been speaking to Middlesex Director of Cricket and, of course, England Selector as well, Angus Fraser, who told me he's not quite sure what to expect from his county champions this coming season. Please leave a review as well on iTunes and also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Click on the button where it says subscribe. It's very easy. Yeah, it certainly is not so easy to assess Alistair Cook's influence as captain over the years that's the first place to start I think uh, chatting about current events and just the fact that he's announced finally his resignation uh, today Monday three or four days after you actually got back from India as well as the uh, England team the England one day team I think it's right don't you that that he's finally resigned just because I feel that the team does need a new direction I think he's done as much as he possibly could I don't think he's someone who in a way, has a natural affinity with cricket captaincy. It's not only about leading by example and, and being honourable and, and doing your duty and being a very honest person, which obviously he is. I think it's also about ideas and about injection and about immersing yourself in the, the whole job of being a captain and, and just being alive to imagination and possibilities and trying different things. And I think... In fact, four years in the job is long enough for anyone, whether you're a natural captain or not. And if you're not truly, madly, deeply in love with captaincy, and I don't ever think he was totally... I think four years is, is well long enough, really. Well, hey, it, it wears you down, doesn't it? Four years is a, is a long time to be on the road as an England captain. Also, as well, the team... I mean, they definitely stagnated. They went backwards in 2016. They, had, they played a lot of games, of course... Played 17, but they lost eight test matches, which was you know, remarkable, really, to lose eight. An England team, with all the, you know, all the funding, all the quality of the, the players they've got, to lose eight matches in, in a year. A couple of defeats at home to Pakistan. I think those were, in some ways, the most troubling. I mean, and we've talked about this before. I thought he should have gone after the South Africa series last year. They, they won. It was a sort of real high point for him. The Ashes were still 18, 20 months away. Give the new captain a chance to, to bed down. Didn't happen, but... There's a, there was a sense of inevitability about it after India. There were just times, you know, watching him when England were losing again, 750 runs going on the board. He just felt that, yeah, this, this feels like the right time for, for someone to come in, someone new to come in. Yeah, and, and the team 
is, is, is so much a nucleus of, of younger players now with perhaps a slightly different approach to the game. Obviously, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, Joss Butler, Johnny Bairstow, Moen Alley. You know, they are very modern players who have sort of almost a gung-ho uh, approach to the game you know you attack 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 kind of thing which isn't really Alistair Cook's mentality he's a more conservative captain in a way he's a captain that worked very well with the likes of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad bowlers who don't like giving runs away uh, work on a, a very sort of studious meticulous plan to get wickets they won't necessarily think of the next ball as getting a wicket but a ball in 10 balls time to get a wicket and they'll have plans and they'll have fields set back to deny batsmen boundaries you know it's a it's a very sort of step-by-step cautious slightly conservative approach but nonetheless you know can work and has worked but this modern brand of cricketer is much more aggressive and sort of almost taking the, the bull by the horns, being much more proactive. So therefore, I think you need a, a proactive captain in charge. That doesn't mean that, that Cook can't be. I have, have a massive role as a player. You know, I think he still has loads to offer. And in a way, being at first slip, standing there in a sort of slightly more detached way and kind of throwing the odd idea into the mix might, might suit him better. What do you think were his main attributes as a captain? You, you've sort of alluded to some of his some negative aspects, if you like, a bit too defensive, a bit too conservative. I mean, it seems to me that the the most sort of positive thing was that he had tremendous respect from the, from the rest of the players. So inside the dressing room, the things we didn't see, that was a sort of positive for him there, in, inside the dressing room. Yeah, Do you feel that was the case? Yeah, definitely. I think team for him was everything. So the, everything he did was in the interests of the team. And, I mean, obviously, he's a very motivated individual, so he still, I believe, wins the 5K run in the team. They have the periodic testing, training, fitness testing. He's always the best speed at 5K. And, and that, you know, is inspiring to the others, that the, the, one of the older members of the team, the captain, is still the fittest from a sort of stamina point of view. And, you know, I think that it, just little things that he did, like removing the, the mobile phones for half an hour after the, the team came back from the field so that they can all talk about the game rather than delving off into Facebook and Twitter and so on, uh, into the social media sort of sphere, uh, to allow the team to talk about the game and really sort of try and assess where they went wrong or where things went right and, and use the team as as that kind of... Unit and really unify the players. Obviously, you know, getting rid of Kevin Peterson was one of the kind of stepping stones to having that unity as a team. He was a a bit of a maverick, someone that you couldn't necessarily trust. He didn't really buy into the team ethic. So I suppose Cook's number one, you know, mantra was team is everything. I had a look at Kevin Peterson's Twitter account just before we started this podcast. Just wonder how he'd reacted to the news oh, that, yeah. that Alistair Cook is going. What, what, do you, what did you think he said? Do you think he said anything? <laughs> You don't bye-bye, know. Bye-bye, chef. Um, lo- lovely to know you. He said, well, there's one little phrase, he said, hashtag bring back KP. OK, yes. Which, I mean, sums it up, doesn't it? It's only, everything's about him. You know, it, 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 Kevin Peterson couldn't give a toss about the team. If, if it works for him, uh, and if, it, if, you know, he can deliver and the team benefits as a result, great. But if, it's, if he has to do something for the team, uh, make a sacrifice, no. Extraordinary highs and lows in Alistair Cook's captaincy, weren't they? I mean, he's won two Ashes series. He won in India, he won in South Africa, and yet there was a, a five-nil in Australia. There was a four-nil 
to India. There's also a losing home series against Sri Lanka as well. That's when he was really under pressure, wasn't it? That was when, well, he's subsequently admitted that he, he was thinking about giving up the captaincy then during that Sri Lanka series or around about that time. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting, the highs and the lows, quite extremes. And that just brings up another point about captaincy, which I think is really important. And that is, it's fine when things are going well. You can be any kind of captain you want, really, because the team sort of, when the team is playing well, it's sort of captaining itself. If things aren't going so well, then I think you need to be a bit of a con man, a bit of an actor, and, you know, pretend in your mind that you're still in control so that, externally that the team still believe that you're in charge and you know what's going on and you've got the answers even if you haven't inside but you've got to be very uh, clever at, at con- you know conveying that confidence and control even if you haven't got it he's not a very good actor you know he's such an honest decent straightforward sort of guy that you can kind of tell and you could certainly tell in India that things he was just he lost control and he didn't really know what to do so you need that kind of extra ingredient I think as captain and that's maybe one of the reasons why when it went wrong it went really pear-shaped he couldn't lift them out of those difficult situations because he wasn't a good enough actor well he went 10 matches without a victory during the Kevin Peterson fallout. Of course, they lost the series in Australia. Then Kevin Peterson went, and then they couldn't win after that. And they eventually got that victory against India at Southampton. Overall, one twenty-four, lost twenty-two, drew thirteen. I thought his, his batting averages were interesting. As captain, he averaged forty-six point five seven. Overall, he averaged forty-six point four five. Yeah, and and you know, which sums up his ultimate value to the team is that nothing affects him. Really, he is able to bat in his own bubble, and whatever the situation, he's capable of churning out runs against any bowler in any conditions. That's his greatest strength as a cricketer. It means as a captain, you're not always engaged. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a disadvantage as a captain to have that brilliant mentality as a batsman where you, you're in this own bubble and nothing affects you. You got a sense that it, this could happen after the India series, didn't you, when you, when you spoke to him your interview with the cricketer, but before they went to India. Yeah, and I think it was just... I, I knew, firstly, that he'd done it for four years. He's achieved all the things he could possibly have achieved, really. I mean, winning the Ashes, winning in South Africa away, winning in, in India away, you know, huge achievements. Uh, he had a new baby. I think that was a contributory factor. I knew that, you know, having a second child takes so much more emotionally out of you. And and the, the, just the, the way he hesitated when he said... And I asked him if he enjoyed it, the way he hesitated and said, well, yeah, kind of, but uh, I can't wait for the time when I'm just a batsman. You can just tell, unless in England miraculously won that series in India, which would have allowed him to stay on as it did when he won in South Africa, it, you just felt that the time was, was right for him to go. And um, during that interview, one of the things I asked him, sensing that his time possibly was up, was what had been the turning point after that kind of terrible 2014 and secondly what had he learned from the turning point to pass on to his successor I think the biggest difference I don't think it was like was actually when I so me and Michael Vaughan you know I the the story I kind of say is I remember being in the gym in in West Indies and you know he was one of my he was he wasn't my first captain but he because he was injured but he was the England captain when I started and you know, we got on really well and I, in the gym. We just didn't speak to each other. You know, didn't even look at each other. Both finding it awkward and and stuff. So actually, been picking up the phone to him to say, look, this can't continue. 
this shouldn't continue. Can we have a, a dinner and, and mm. chat? Was probably the, the defining moment in terms of that. So, um, and that gave me, I suppose, a lot of confidence to then go and ask loads of different people about opinions, so about stuff, and had the confidence to do it. So, you know, that was that was the moment. I wouldn't say anyone's influenced me. I think ultimately. You know, circumstance will happen with Peter Moores and then what happened with Farby. You know, they're, they're the big changing moments, I suppose. But, but what you're saying is, in a way, that, that the pivotal moment was talking to Vaughan, um, breaking the yeah. ice um, once he'd gone into the media, and then that gave you the confidence to talk to others. Yeah, in 2014, yeah, 2014 yeah. yeah. Can you give one piece of advice for, for, your, for your successor... If you had to give them one bit of advice, what, what would that be? Oh, well, there's two. There's someone you can, you can, who's on your side away from the game of cricket, if that makes sense, who you can run ideas past and also be open to people giving you ideas, you know, the media, for example, or ex-players giving you, giving you, idea, giving you ideas because they see the game from detachment up in the media centre and if you you know they there's a lot of expertise there and they are willing to help and I think it's uh, it's important to use that help so that was Alistair Cook talking to me in early November just before England went on tour to India and well you know as it's turned out obviously he has resigned and Joe Root's the new man or will be Presumably, no doubt about that. It's, it's got to be. Is it got to be Joe Root? Actually, I saw Mike Atherton in the in the Sunday in Mike Atherton in the Times saying that at least they should there should be an interview process that he shouldn't just be right straight into the job. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I think there's some validity in that idea. Uh, who are the candidates then? Joe Root, Ben Stokes, uh, I don't know, but- Joss Butler. Who else? Moen Ali. I mean, the trouble is, how how many real, genuine candidates are there? I can't really see Ben Stokes doing it because it's so hard for a bowler, and he's so emotionally connected in the game, and that's no good. Who else is there? Joss Butler. Not a realistic. He's not even in the side. He's not guaranteed sure. to be in the side, no. is he? So I, I don't really see any other option apart no. from Root. No. What sort of captain do you think he'll be? I actually asked him that question when we were in India and he said, well, it was a bit like being a new father because you'd just become a new father. He said, you don't quite know how it's going to turn out yeah. until it actually happens. Because he did one match, didn't he, for Yorkshire that didn't go particularly well. Wasn't they... that the game when Middlesex chased 470 to win? Yeah. Chris Rogers got 250. I saw a bit of that game. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously that can happen. Well, I think he'll be. I think he'll be great because he is so breathes and eats and sleeps cricket and uh, he loves the game you can just tell from everything he does he's always smiling he looks at even in adversity he's having fun so that's a good start he loves the game and because he loves the game he watches the game he talks about the game he listens about the game he might even listen to this you never know and uh you know he he just gets so much absorbs so much information and so much Stuff that I'm sure plenty of that stuff will come regurgitating out in his captaincy role. I, I think he's, he'll be bursting with ideas. I think one of the reasons that this didn't come out before England got back from India is because it, there would have been a, a distraction. There would have been some some focus on on Root and possibly Morgan in the one days as well. You could see that's a worst case scenario of Morgan not getting any runs. Cook resigns back at home. 
it's inevitable that Root is going to be made test captain, you know, and then people saying, well, perhaps Root should be made one day captain as well. The questions would have been asked, you know, on, almost on a daily basis. So by just playing it the way they have, it's just taken all the heat out of that. So, so Root becomes test captain, presumably he doesn't become one day captain. Well, certainly not in the near future. I mean, Owen Morgan is clearly going to lead England into the Champions Trophy. Do, do you see Root down the line as the next one day captain, or do you think? Someone like Joss Butler instead. I, I, I do actually. I see someone like one... I see someone like Joss Butler instead because I think the the one day and test formats are diverging rapidly, which doesn't mean to say you don't have people who play in both formats. But I think I think it's just too much to ask to captain in in both. And all right, so Steve Smith's doing it. Virat Kohli's doing it. Well, good luck to them. I, mm. I'll see how long it lasts because it just it's just endless. It's relentless. And I think actually to have two different guys. I mean, Owen Morgan. We we had we had him on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, sort of talking about when you come in as the one day captain after a period where the test team hasn't done very well. It's like a a breath of fresh air. It's like renewed energy. And I think it's good to have that you know spin off. It, it, some people say, well, having a one day captain undermines a, a test captain, but I don't think so. They're slightly different squads. Quite a lot of different players. A different captain's good. Well, I, I would have thought Butler rather than Root down the line, but you know, things change, don't they? If Root does really well, there might be a clamour for him to be one-day captain as well. And that's not to write off Owen Morgan. England might win the Champions Trophy, might lead them to the next World Cup I, as well. I suppose, you know, in the end, in captaincy, what you want from a captain is someone who is so immersed in it because they love it. I think the more the more responsibilities they have, as in both captaining both formats, the more it just becomes relentless and it becomes a burden. Then you stop loving the, the job and then you don't do it so well. So I think to keep it, keeping captains fresh is just as important as keeping players fresh. Well, there's no doubt the international schedule is relentless. We're going to look at uh, domestic matters in a moment and hear from Angus Fraser. But we should talk about the ICC's plans to revamp Test and One Day Cricket. We've mentioned that you know, there's just so much international cricket and they're, they're going to try to make some sort of sense of it or give it some context from 2019. What we're talking about is a, a league that lasts for two years, a Test League that lasts for two years, and then there will be some kind of final to be decided, whether it's one match or two matches or whatever, and a 13-team One Day International League, which will go towards qualifying for the next World Cup. Uh, this is long overdue, isn't it? Something like this. You know, England go to India, they lose 4-0, and you know, they're set-piece series, a showpiece series, but ultimately it has no particular effect, doesn't it? Okay, it means India are still number one in the world, in the rankings, which no one quite understands how they work. But this, with a two-year league and then a final, surely that, that's what Test cricket needs. Yeah, uh, look all around the world, apart from England and to a lesser extent Australia. And actually, one or two of the tests in India got decent crowds before Christmas, didn't they? But you know, generally, test, test crowds are terrible. I think the day-night experiment may help that situation slightly, but they definitely need something to, as a focus to give context to all these games, which a lot of which are meaningless. Yeah, you have the, the ashes, which happens every two years, and you know that really does focus people's attention. But apart from that... All these series going on around the world don't seem to have much real meaning and therefore people don't engage with them very much. So to have a target where you get points, however they are worked out, where you have... You, play yes, you don't everyone. know that yet, do it? That hasn't I been mean, decided. And obviously, you know, this is the hope. 
the ICC will not procrastinate too much longer over it because you know the longer they do argue and debate and discuss it, the less chance there is of actually making a decision. But if they have a, a sensible way of, of issuing points, you can't satisfy everyone. In the end, they have to make some kind of strong decision and say, right, we're trying this. Give it a go and see what happens. And then, yeah, I mean, imagine having a final at, say, Lords in September, you know, between India and Australia. And, and that would be fantastic for, for the game in general. People all around the world would, would tune into that. Players would want to really play in it. And they could, the teams could judge themselves at the end of it rather than at the moment this rather incomprehensible in ranking system, which nobody really understands. And it, uh, therefore, because they don't understand it, they don't care. And the mace gets handed over, doesn't it, to a captain at a press conference and there's a photograph taken. There are no crowds there or anything like that. The, well, not often, anyway, and the, when the mace is handed over for being the, the number one side. And, and the nice thing about you know the final is that it will presumably be on a neutral venue. I mean, they'll, they'll have to plan it ahead, but it will presumably be at a neutral venue, which means home advantage is negated. Well, unless the team that w- comes top of the group, top of the league, gets home advantage. You know, that's the benefit in, in winning the... Winning the group, well, winning I, the league. I suppose what they'll do is is plan where the final is going to be along, you know, a year ahead, and then if it happens to be the team that that group country's in that that is top, say it's England, happen to be top, and the the finals are lost. Well, that's just luck, really. I, 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 whether, can they switch it at the last minute? Perhaps they can, but I don't think the broadcasters would be too happy. So you think it'd be like the World Cup? You know where it's going to be, or the World Twenty Twenty? You know where it's going to be. Yeah, and if it just so happens that one of the teams is at home, I mean that's just chance. It's like you take that chance with the World Cup being football, don't you? Really, you know, it might well be Brazil that state get to the final in Rio, but actually it didn't happen, did it? There's a slightly thorny issue of India against Pakistan because they haven't played each other at, at Test match level for a while. If this is an official ICC event, as World T20s are and, and, and World Cups, where they sort of have to play each other, they turn up and they have to play each other. In fact, the ICC, it seems to me, almost guarantee that they play each other in these world events. I wonder what's going to happen when you get a situation where... You, you know, this is now an ICC event, if you like, mm. a, a sort of test championship. Well, they play, they, they, they play in the World Cup against each other, yeah, don't they? Yeah. So maybe they'll... Be forced you know, to play against they'll, each they'll, other. They'll, you know, politics will be superseded for this particular thing, which would be great. And, you know, also, we shouldn't forget that the smaller countries that have been so sort of excluded and ignored and haven't really given the, been given the funding in the past, I'm thinking of, you know, teams like Afghanistan, Ireland people like that, who are now going to be involved more yeah. in both of these leagues and have you know, a realistic, though slim, opportunity to get into the, to the big time. And we definitely need that to create more dynamism in the world of cricket. Well, the game needs to be grown, doesn't it, rather than shrunk. I think there was a feeling a while back you just concentrate on the big teams, but I think that's changed now for the better, and it looks as if there is going to be more opportunity. It has been sort of watered down a little bit because we were, first of all, we were going to have two leagues, weren't we? You know, first division and second division. And then you could see some of the teams, for example, someone like Sri Lanka wouldn't be too happy about that because they could see themselves in the second division, didn't want to be in the second division. And then we had the conference idea. And now we've got a nine-team league over two years. Uh, what you hope is it doesn't get completely watered down so it's just not workable and not meaningful. At least, I think one of the sort of plus points of the whole thing is that it sounds as if the the rather monopolising dominance of the Indian board has been reduced. They're getting less income now from the next ICC 
sort of um, you know, bank, if you like, and uh, they haven't got the same power. They can't wield the same autocratic sort of power that they were uh, able to. And I think that's good for the game because though obviously India have the, the, the largest population and therefore they're the richest board, they aren't necessarily the clearest thinking and they can be quite selfish course they're all there's there's agendas to deal with from everywhere yeah. which is why it does make the ICC's job incredibly hard you're dealing with quite difficult tricky countries a lot of whom you know cricket is a very strong and, and financially lucrative area so it's a minefield actually but let's hope they're getting somewhere towards a, a sensible decision and some real strong moves forward yeah, so I think definitely in favour of that. We, we've got to have it, and let, let's hope that it's, it's not watered down, that it actually happens in the future. Well, it's cold outside, Simon. It's, it's February. It's, the county championship season seems, well, a long way in the past. It seems a long time since Middlesex beat Yorkshire at Lords in that remarkable, dramatic uh, final match of the season. But it won't be that long, will it? Another couple of months, and the, the players will be out there, and they're, they're already... Uh, working hard towards the new season. You, you've been speaking to Angus Fraser, the Director of Coaching at Middlesex, who were, are the county champions, the defending county champions. Nice, actually, to see uh, that at last, and this is something that's been going on for many years, Middlesex's Director of Cricket, Angus, is now housed in the main pavilion at Lord's. Uh, for so long, MCC and Middlesex were... Not exactly happy bedfellows, even though obviously Middlesex play all their matches at Lords. But the the harmonious relationship between the two is now cemented, and I think you know confirmed by the fact that Gus gets a, a position in the a pavilion just behind sort of Secretary of Cricket. He doesn't get a view of the ground. The Secretary of Cricket and the MCC <laughs> get the view across the ground, a panoramic view at sort of long off just next to the Warner Stand, but. At least Gus is in the pavilion, just underneath the committee dining room, so he can nip upstairs for lunch and get even fatter. Uh, and and also, you know, you're looking out at the Harris Gardens and you know the new Warner Stand and stuff. So you know, Middlesex are very, very much part of Lords now, and I think they're feeling much more part of it. And I don't they yet they're not able to practice outdoors at Lords in February, although of course there's the indoor school, which is excellent. But they are practicing outdoors at Merchant Taylor School. Uh, they, you know, and this is happening more and more around the country now. In February, they put up these marquees uh, over the top of a square. Um, they get heaters in and and play almost sort of normal cricket in February, which is which is fantastic. So they are preparing very seriously. How would you have coped with that as a player, just <laughs> playing outside in the winter? I think it's great. Well, 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 I think it's brilliant. I mean, obviously, quite a lot of players still go abroad and and practice and play in the winter, you know, in Australia or wherever. But uh, I was always a bit... I've had mixed feelings about pre-season trips to wherever. You know, they tend to go now to either Dubai or the Caribbean or sometimes Spain. And I never thought that was really that sensible because you played in nice warm conditions and you played in a T-shirt and... You know, you were feeling really loose. And then suddenly you come over along in April and play on a muddy, wet, damp place in Northampton, slip and pull a hamstring. Yeah. Or, you know, rick a throwing arm or something. Cause it was or get a bone cruncher at slip or, as well. Yeah, or bre- break your finger, exactly, with, a, with five degrees mm. outside. So I think actually practising in the kind of conditions that you are tending to get in April 
is is better. Obviously, they've got the marquee to firstly stop the rain and secondly just keep it a bit warmer. But I think it makes an awful lot of sense, and you can stay at home and and you know almost it's it's become it's a year round job now. Whereas in you know in my era, September the thirtieth, you handed back the sponsored car, got the P forty five, and they said goodbye to next April. Well, let's hear from Gus. You've been speaking to him. I just get the sense that he's not quite sure what to expect from a, a new county championship season. The technology of just marquees has gone through the roof in, in four or five years. We were one of the first counties to do it. And uh, it was a question then of getting heaters from um, uh, the local sort of uh, store, these big industrial heaters, and just trying to warm the place up. And it's quite difficult. It's not the best use of energy when you sort of... <laughs> You've only got a clear plastic roof in. There's not a great deal of insulation there. Uh, and we managed to get through it by that. Then all of a sudden you start rolling the covers in and you have these lights. Um, uh, again, it's the, the cannabis light sort of a scenario where you're using that to, to heat and to dry out the surfaces and suddenly a dehumidifier appeared and that brought brilliant response, brilliant results as well. Another handicap for bowlers then, the dehumidifier. All of them swing around indoors. Well, you, I tell you, you we've, 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 I mean, this is the fourth time we'll have, we'll have used the, 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 the marquees. And you say, it is like that. I mean, you, you get to the end of a month's usage and it's like Ahmedabad. I mean, this area is just bare, dry, and it's spinning. I mean, it's not sort of early season. You start off with sort of slow seeming, nibbling pitches, but. Uh, I mean, the groundsmen love it. I mean, the merchant tailors, he's in there on the roller with his T-shirt off almost because if the sun's out, because it's just like a greenhouse. But since I came back to Middlesex, sort of pitching our position, or the position we're in, and the pitch that I sort of take with the, with the team has been quite simple. We've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep, we want to get back to where we once were. Um, winning trophies and things like that. Then you win a trophy in such um, a thrilling style and in pretty impressive style remaining unbeaten throughout an entire season it's it, it's it's a pretty special achievement so you win it and you think well where do you go now not where do you go now because you want to do it again but how how do you sort of take it forward and I was sort of sort of it's like there's a cocktail on the table in the middle of the room and we're all drinking from it and we like the taste of it well it tastes really good uh, but we don't know the ingredients we don't know whether my input's 1, 2, 5, 10, 15, 20% we all know that some people are putting into this cocktail, uh, but we don't know quite how. And we've got it into the sort of taste that it is by, by having the sort of, um, I don't know, by, by, by behaving and producing the sort of environment that we have. And now you don't want to do nothing because nothing would suggest an air of complacency, but you don't want to be pushing too hard on people that have achieved something because we know what to do. So trying to keep that taste the same um, it, 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 you're coming from a slightly different angle now. So winning after winning uh, brings a new set of challenges. But, uh, but at least you've got the confidence of winning, which, I mean, is a big uh, bonus, isn't it? Absolutely. But I, I don't know. It, maybe it's me. Um, uh, but you're restless, you know, you're well, restless for trying to improve. Yeah, but you, you're never settled, do you? you mm. I mean, you could always do better. You don't want it to be a one-off. You, you want to back up what you've achieved and, and show everybody that this is a serious outfit, not someone who got it right for one year. So... The desire to sort of repeat is strong, but I don't think equally that you have to win something to have a, had a good year. You could, you look at the game last year and that final match that we played against Yorkshire. I mean, there was, uh, Bresden was at LBW to Toby Rudd and Jones. Um, it, there wasn't any DRS. 
but it had been the umpire made the right decision, whatever it would have been, whether it was not out or, or out, because it was clipping the top of the stumps. That could have been given not out, and it wouldn't have been the wrong decision. Um, and Bresnan could have won the game, we'd have finished third. It could, so things can change so quickly. So therefore, to say the only the only time you're successful is you win things, I think is just, it's it's unfair and it's unrealistic because you can get through to the semi-final of a, of a knockout competition and someone just plays the innings of a lifetime to take it away from you. Well, that's Middlesex's director of cricket, Gus Fraser. One of the things I found really interesting about that interview is his lack of almost conviction about his own role in helping Middlesex turn things around over the years, which culminated in winning the championship last season. What impact do I have? Can I do more? Did I have that much of an impact? Did you get that sort of sense when you spoke to him? Yeah, and it's always difficult as a coach, isn't it? Because you don't really know what influence you have. I mean, he's not really a coach. He's more of a, a, fa- a facilitator, I suppose. But So he gets the people in place. Yeah, and, and but, he, you know, his, his, the tone that is set by him in a way and the kind of... Actually, you know, they're buying into a, a spirit, a team ethic, which was very much, I think, came from him. Um, you know, we talked there about the All Blacks code of mm. behaviour. And I think he's he's very much applied that kind of sense of, of the team being the important thing, a bit like Alistair Cook in a way, you know, respect for the dressing room, other players, uh, everyone who works at the club, you know, tidy up after yourself. Andrew Strauss used to have this uh, phrase when he was captain of England about not treating the yeah. team as a hire car you know, where you just sort of treat it like crap, really, and drive it into the ground and leave a load of crap inside it afterwards. You know, treat it with respect, the team with respect. And I think that's the, the most important thing that Angler's brought into it. And also, just just to, to respect the, the, the brand, the name, Middlesex, and be proud of it and what it's achieved in the past and try and, you know, emulate those achievements. Obviously, the hardest thing... In fact, it was, it was Fred Titmus, I remember, the former Middlesex and England spinner, who once said it's not it's it's harder staying at the top mm. than getting to the top because as soon as you get to the top everyone wants to knock you off it and you've then got to sort of then move forward evolve a bit more to stay ahead of the game that's the hard part and if you feel like you've pulled out all the stops to win in the first place you haven't got any more stops to use the next time but just knowing that you have found a formula that works must be it start, you start with confidence, but you just you don't want to rest on your laurels. You've got to keep moving on all the time. Because it wasn't as if Middlesex were head and shoulders above everyone else, were they? You well, they look, hadn't lost a game. No, you, but you don't look at their side and And think, they were second the year before. Yeah, they have, no, they have done well recently. Well, yeah. The point I'm making is that they're not, they're not so outstanding that they're bound to win it again. They know they're going to be really tested again by some you know, three or four sides next season probably you know, Yorkshire might well be mm. amongst them who knows though what pitches Somerset are going to produce down there <laughs> down there at Jack Leach at with Taunton. his new action so they're not you know they, they know they're in for a big challenge it's not a you know it's not a gimme it's not like I know when you when you think of dynasties in in other sports you know Wigan rugby league club are winning year after year Liverpool in football going a while back winning year after year Manchester United had a, a run like that as well it's not like that mm. in the county championship yeah I, I think the, the, the fact is and you know, going back to what Fred Titmus said about staying at the top is, is harder I think you you just have to uh, you know really enjoy the fact that you won and really absorb it and then almost sort of park it 
and you've got to start again. But at least we start again knowing that that's a good point to start from. Well, that was Middlesex last season dominating. That was probably the, the highlight of the domestic game last season. Let's, let's end with our, our highlights, lowlights of the week. You're doing the lowlight this week. What is it? Well, it's a silly one, really, but I, I, I'm editor of the Cricketer magazine, and every month we get to about the first week of the month where we go to press and we have a nine-day delay between actually going to press and the magazine coming out. And it just seems like these big stories keep happening just at the point when we go to press and we've done all these sort of planning for about three months before to what we're going to put in the magazine, what's going on the cover, what's the editorial, what's the big feature, you know, what's the news stories. And then all this... planning three months of planning goes completely out the window because Alistair Cook decides either not to resign one month or to resign the next month so can people please when they make a big decision in the game can they make it in the middle of the month not at the beginning well yeah phone the editor of the cricketer before you're about to yes, make it and, and, do, and do it in the middle of the month so we've got a bit of time well my uh, my highlight is well well done the ICC at last we're going to get some some context to test cricket and one day cricket in the past, it hasn't necessarily needed it. Series have, have worked quite well, but 2020 is such a force in the game now that Test cricket and one day international cricket needs to sort of up its game and, and compete, and there has to be some context. And it looks at last as if that's going to happen from 2019. It's going to ha- it's have to be delayed until 2019 because all sorts of broadcasting contracts oh, are hope. in place. Let's and, just uh, hope they don't procrastinate anymore and use that 2019 as. You know, such a kind of uh, as a point where, oh, well, we haven't made a decision yet. We'll put the decision off for another three years. Well, they've got to act, haven't they? They've got to act. Now, please subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button and also give us a review on iTunes. And actually, what we'd also like to do is we'd like to hear from you about what you'd like us to talk about. You can tweet us at, at the analyst or at cricket underscore man with a double N. Any kind of subjects that you think we should discuss. Absolutely, yep. Let's hear from you. In the meantime, we'll say goodbye and we'll speak to you next week. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.